Everybody have a message, God? Okay. We're going to begin a series today. It's going to take us through the next five weeks. Um, it's going to take us right to Easter. Uh, we'll end it the week before Easter. We'll end it on um, um, the week before Easter Sunday. Easter is April 24th this year. comes late. And we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to basically do a study out of the book of Exodus about the Passover. And I'm going to title this series, The Passover Plot. And today we're going to talk about the purpose. And in the next, uh, in the next four weeks, five weeks total, today we'll talk about the purpose. Next week we'll talk about the people. After that we're going to talk about the promise, the power, and then we're going to talk about the Passover. And then we'll have the following week, Easter Sunday. We're in the season called Lent, and this is the 40 days before Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. You know, Jesus was crucified. He was the Passover. We'll get into all this in the next several weeks as we study Exodus and we study what the Scripture declares. Jesus was crucified as the Passover lamb. Now we, he was raised on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. A lot of people today believe Monday is the first day of the week because we go to work on Monday after the weekend, and so the world has come to, to be conditioned to think of Monday as the first day of the week. But the reality is Sunday is the first day of the week. And I... I I, I try not to buy a calendar that has Monday as the first day. I like calendars that have Sunday as the first day because that, that is the truth. And Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. It's why it's called the Lord's Day because it was the day of his resurrection. And so uh, we're going to talk over the next several weeks uh, about the Passover plot. But I want to begin right now with kind of going back, and, and I want us to begin with the, view, with the end in view. Um, we're going to talk about the purpose of God in the Passover and, and all that He has done. But it's important for us to understand and to keep the end in view. You know, the book of Revelation is a book that, that many, many people uh, don't understand. It's shrouded in mystery and symbolism, and there's great speculation. But one thing that we know is that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it gives us a picture of the end of all things. It gives us a crystal clear picture of the end. Whether you understand all of the things in that book... There's one thing we can all understand and we can all agree on is that God has given us a revelation of the end of all things, which is really not an end because there is no end in God, right? He's eternal. So when we say the end, it's not like we're going to have so many millions and trillions of years and then there's going to be an end. There is no end in God. Eternity by its very definition... The essence of what it is means there was no beginning and there is no end. It is eternal. He is the eternal God. Christ is our eternal Passover. And so we begin with the end in view, and that 
that declares to us, that shows us, gives us a picture of the purpose. And we were in, we just finished a a three-part series on Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians 2 took us into 1 Peter 2, and we looked at, at all of these things. And the gospel there in Ephesians 2 and 1 Peter 2 reveals that there is one kind, that there's one new man, one holy house, one holy nation, one special people, one new creation that is acceptable to the Father. That one new man is created where? In Christ. And that one new man is Christ. He is the one new man. And so Paul declares this in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, right before he gets into what we call the second chapter of Ephesians. And he says, and he put, speaking of Christ, and he put all things under his feet. God the Father put all things under the feet of Christ and gave him, gave Christ to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Who is the body? Well, we are the body, but, but who is the body? Christ is the body. So we don't have Christ and us as two separate entities. We are the body, but the body is Christ. Amen? We need to to understand that. You say, man, you're just splitting hairs, Pastor Jeff. No. If we're not careful and we think of things in the wrong way, pretty soon I'm down here trying to survive on earth and God's up there in heaven watching me. And sometimes he helps me. And ultimately, he's going to get me there, but boy, it sure was a a rough road to hoe. No. There is no separation. He is the head, we are the body. There's one new man now. There's one kind now. There's one temple now. There's one body now. It's Christ. And the gospel, the good news is, I was separated from him, but now I have become a member of him. I have become, even as Paul declares in Ephesians 5, and even as Adam declared in the very beginning when he woke up from his death-like sleep and saw Eve standing there, he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Paul says, I speak of a mystery. I speak of Christ in his church. We are now bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And so he has given, he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. We are the fullness of him. Say, well, it doesn't look very full. It doesn't seem very glorious. Stop walking by sight and start walking by faith. We are the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the end in view, church. This is the end in view. This is the purpose for which God has done everything that Christ might fill all in all. And it declares very specific things about us who are in Christ. And we need to pay attention to those very specific things because they speak of who we are. They, they help us. They are the very thing, the very promises, the very truths, and the very realities that enable us to walk by faith and not by sight. Keeping the end in view. As we talked about today in the Bible study, uh, this morning, going through Second Thessalonians, that we keep an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective is simply keeping the end in view. But keeping the end in view doesn't mean I don't have it now, but I'll get it one day. 
If I can just barely hang on, that's, that's not an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective rooted and grounded in truth says, I am right now the righteousness of God in Christ. I am right now as alive as I will ever be if I have His eternal life in Christ. So living with the end in view, keeping the end in view. So we become that new creation which He created in Himself by grace through faith. That is the salvation which is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. What is? Salvation is the gift of God. Why? So that no man can boast. And so it is this salvation that is the gift of God, which no man can boast in himself, but only, this is why Paul said, my only boast is in the cross. I will boast only in the cross of Christ. I have purpose to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Why? Because Paul says, I have no boast in any other thing except in the cross of Christ. I have no boast in my heritage as a, as a son of the tribe of Benjamin. I have no boast in the reality that I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He said, I have no boast in that. I've counted it all loss. It's like dung to me. We would use another word today, but I won't use it. That's exactly what he was saying. That's what those things had become to him. He said, I have counted it all lost that I might know the excellency of Christ. What I have, I have in Christ. What I can boast in, I boast in Christ. And so we have become this new creation created in Christ by grace through faith. Our boast is in the cross of Christ. Why did Christ have to create in himself one new man in order to save us? Because we were all born in this old creation of the old man. And we were all born with hard hearts. And our only hope is the new man in the new creation. Galatians 6.15, Paul is talking to these believers who are being challenged to conform to the law, to the works of the flesh. And he says, there is not anything that's profitable. It's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. It's not about keeping the law or the works of the flesh. He said, the only thing that profits anyone is a new creation. A new creation. Christ created in himself one new man in order to save us because there is, there is salvation in no other place except in a new creation, except in becoming a new creation where? In Christ. And so it's this one kind that we see foreshadowed throughout Scripture, communicating to us. So all through the writings of the Scripture, God is communicating to us in word and in vivid, vivid living color. I mean, these were real people with real circumstances. The Exodus is not just a story that someone made up, it is the actual reality of what happened. And God has given us not only in his word, but through the course of human history that he has orchestrated. It's his story that he wrote, that he has developed to declare to us, to make known to us, to reveal to us, ultimately, Christ. And so it's this, it's this 
communication of what God's plan and what God's purpose is through His Word, through the reality of what's transpired throughout human history. Those things are now manifest where they're manifest in Christ. God communicated those things, revealed those things to us so that we could see Christ, know Christ. They're manifest in Christ, who is the one new man, the many-membered. Remember, Paul said there are many members, but one body. He is the many-membered one new man. Guess what? If you are in Christ today, you are one of the many members in that one new man. And all that God has revealed in His Word has been to reveal to us, to make known to us, and ultimately to make known and manifest to all creation, Christ. Amen? So we keep the end in view. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. Paul says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which, no, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He said, we speak the mystery, the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Think about that, church. That God ordained something before the ages for our glory. I mean, before there was a world that existed, God ordained for our glory a plot, a plan, a purpose. In Himself, He ordained this thing. Paul said it was hidden, it was a mystery, it was hidden wisdom that God hid, that God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. And had they known what God's plan, what God was plotting, what God had ordained before the ages, had they known what He had ordained before the ages, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because in crucifying the Lord of glory, guess what? They did they brought about the very preordained plan of God. The very thing that they thought they were stopping God in His wisdom, it's a mystery. God in His wisdom brought about the fulfillment of the very thing they thought they were stopping through the crucifixion of the Lord of glory. Eye has not seen Ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for those who love him. Where are those things prepared for us? Ephesians 1 tells us he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In Christ. In heavenly places in Christ. Whatever blessings we experience on this earth, look, it rains on the just and the unjust. I'm thankful for the rain. Matter of fact, please pray for rain. We need, we need rain. And the rain is a blessing. But I'm going to tell you what. That's not the kind of blessing I'm talking about. Those are not the kind of blessings that God has blessed us with in Christ Jesus. The, 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 the world, the unbeliever, receives that blessing. 
But the blessing that God has blessed His children with, those who are in Christ, the blessing He has blessed us with is in heavenly places, it's in Christ. It doesn't mean we're going to get those one day when we get to heaven. That's what we often think. It doesn't mean we'll get that one day when we get to heaven. It means we have them right now in heavenly places where? In Christ. Christ is not earthly, He's heavenly. What we have in Christ is not earthly, it's heavenly. The rain is a blessing, but it's earthly, it's temporal. You ever notice that? The rain falls, and before too long, what happens to it? It evaporates and goes away, and then we need more rain again. It's a temporal blessing, but the blessings that we've been blessed with in Christ are not temporal. They don't evaporate. They don't go away. They are eternal. That's why they're called heavenly. It doesn't mean we can't experience them them here on the earth. It means they're not of this earth. They're not of this world. They're heavenly. They're found only in one place. They're found only in Christ. This is what God has blessed us with. How did he do that? He did that because he foreordained the crucifixion of the Lord of glory. So we're talking about the Passover plot. A plot. The word plot. I'm going to give you three definitions of the word plot. It's an eternal plot. A plot is to make a map or a plan. I used to work for the highway department. I worked five summers for the engineers when they used to have their own engineering department. And we would go out there and we would do what were called cross-sections. And so when they were getting ready to build a brand-new super-duper double-divided highway, what I would do is I would have this big, long rod with numbers on it. And I would walk. I did this for miles. I did it all the way from Victoria, Texas to Port Lavaca, Texas. I did it all the way from Victoria, Texas to Refurio, Texas. Now, you guys down there know that those are both long, long distances. And over the course of five summers, I walked from Victoria to Refurio and from Victoria to Port Lavaca, plotting a plan to build a road. So we'd go, and every, every 100 feet, we'd stop. And I'd take that thing, and I'd start in the center of the highway, and I'd have to go a certain number of feet. And, and when I'd come to a place like this, so let's say that I'm up here, and I start here, and I'm holding my rod, and here's the step down. Well, I've got to put the rod there to reveal, to plot that step down. I come over here, and I put my rod there, and they read that. And then I step down, and I put my rod there. And what happens is, and then you go out, cross the fence, through the fields where all the rattlesnakes are. You know, it, it didn't matter if it was flat or if it was a ravine that was, you know, 150 feet deep. You had to plot that thing. Now, of course, I was a college kid, and it was like adventure to me. I just read The Lord of the Rings for the first time, and, you know, it was like being in Middle Earth. You know, I'm like climbing the Misty Mountains, and I'm, they're like, oh, man, who wants to go down there in that hole? I'll go, you know. <laughs> Looks like adventure to me, so, I, you know, and so you're going... And you do that. And so when you take all that information recorded in a little book, you take it back to the engineers, and the, and the engineers take all those numbers and they plot them on a big piece of paper. And so you have what's called a cross-section. And you see the topography. You see the road and the ditch. And it, and it gives them a picture. They plot that. Well, I'm telling you what. Before the ages begin, God plotted out a way, a path. To what? To salvation. 
to redemption. Now, that thing on that piece of paper in the engineer's office doesn't look anything like a superhighway. But you don't get the superhighway unless you have that thing plotted out, unless you have that thing mapped out. How do you think Jesus Christ came to the cross at Calvary dying for our sins? I'm going to tell you how he got there. He got there because before the ages began, in the eternal counsel of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, they made a plan. They plotted out. It was the foreordained eternal purpose of God, and Jesus followed that path all the way to Calvary, and the end is what the New Testament is revealing to us, that he might be the head of all things, who fills all in all, that, that in him you would be complete lacking nothing, that in Christ it pleased God that in Him the fullness should dwell. The fullness, what does that mean? It means fullness. It means there's not anything lacking in Christ. If you're in Christ, are you lacking anything? No, you're not. You might be ignorant. You might not have knowledge of what you have, but I promise you in Christ you're not lacking anything. Any lack you perceive that you have is just that. It's perceived. So what do we do? Well, we need to find out what God has plotted out. We need to find out His plan, His purpose. We need to educate ourselves, come into the knowledge of what He has already foreordained and already accomplished in Christ so that we can begin to take advantage of that way that He has made for us. He's done all the work. The construction, it's, it's our, he's, he's doing everything. In a sense, it's already a done deal. It's already been built, yet he's building it. And we're part of what he's building as living stones. This is what the scriptures declare. So it means to make a map, to make a plan. It means to plan secretly, to plot. Had the rulers of this world known, why didn't they know? Because God made a plan and he didn't tell anybody about it except himself. He didn't even tell the angels. They look in wonderment at what God is doing and has done. But God knew within himself. Who? What do you mean he himself knew? The Father knew, the Son knew, and the Spirit knew. It was their plan. Let us, not God and the angels, let us, let Father, Son, and Holy Ghost make man in our image. Why? Because we've got a plan. When did it begin? When God made man? Absolutely not. It, it began before God made anything. It began in God. So in a sense, did it have a beginning? It didn't. Because if God's plan had a beginning, guess who? God has a beginning, and he doesn't have one. It was the eternal plan and the eternal purpose of God. It didn't have a beginning. It's, it, it's always been. And because it has always been in God, guess what? There's no question that it, it would, it is, and it will be a done deal. Because it's in Him. It's His plan. It's His eternal purpose. Guess what, child of God? If you're a believer today, where are you? You're in Him. And this is what Ephesians 2.10 says. We are His workmanship created where? In Christ. 
for good works, which he prepared when? Beforehand. You were created in Christ before Christ created the world. We're not plan B. We are the only plan and the only purpose God has ever had. Jesus crucified is not plan B because Adam and Eve messed God's plan up. Jesus Christ crucified is the only plan God has ever had eternally. That's it. There is no other plan. God's not a man that he should lie, and he's not a man whose plans get upset and overturned by his creation. He is the creator. He's smarter than that. (laughs) He's God. We need to give God credit for who he is. We often put God in, in a... We put God, we think of God in a mentality, and we put God in human terms. We think of God in human ways. Well, I wonder what God's going to do now, because, man, this, this has just messed everything up. You, come on. That, it might have messed you up, but it didn't mess God up. It didn't. To plan secretly. So he didn't tell the rulers of this world. Had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Aren't you glad they didn't know? Aren't you glad God knows how to keep a secret? Now, if if he'd have told a man, now listen, I'm going to tell you this, but don't tell anybody. Because if you tell anybody, it's going to get out, it's going to ruin everything. There's a reason why God didn't tell man. Because it would have gotten ruined. Because we can't keep a secret. But God kept it secret through the ages. And when Jesus Christ was crucified, even at that point, The rulers of this world had no idea what they were doing. They just played right into the plan of God. Well, that ought to encourage you right there. That ought to make you look at your life and think about your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it, and you ought to be encouraged. Because either God is in control of your life or he's not who this word declares him to be. And I choose to believe that he is exactly who this word declares him to be. So I can trust him, and I will trust him. And even in my doubt and unbelief, I'll say, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Because I don't understand, but I know who you are, and I choose to believe and trust in who you are, even though I don't understand you. Plot means to invent or devise the plot of a literary work. Every good story has a plot. His story has a plot. It's his story. History is his story. It really is. And it has a plot. And he developed it. We're not helping him write the book. You're not the co-author and you're not the co-pilot. He's the author (laughs) and he's the pilot. Keep your eyes on Jesus who is the author. It doesn't say keep your eyes on Jesus who's co-authoring this Book with you, this life with you. You and Jesus, you're writing a good future. No, I'm not writing anything. He is the author. He is the beginner, and he is the completer, the finisher of my faith. So the eternal plot, it's his plan, it's his map, it's his way. It's his his plan that he's kept secret through the ages, revealed now by the Spirit of God. Paul goes on and he says, Had the rulers of this world known, they wouldn't have crucified him. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, but God has revealed it to us. How? By his Spirit. 
How can I know what God's plan and purpose is? He's revealed it to me. How? By His Spirit. He didn't reveal it to me because I read the Bible and memorized all the Bible. He revealed it to me because He's given me His Spirit. And now when I read His inspired Word, it's His Spirit in me that gives me the revelation. See, the Pharisees used this word to kill. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. This word cannot be understood apart from the spirit of God. So stop trying to understand it with your carnal mind and begin to trust God to give you a revelation by his spirit. Well, what does he want to reveal to you? He wants to reveal his son. He doesn't just want to reveal to you how you can have a a bigger bank account or how you can drive a nicer car or live in a bigger house, or get a better job. All that might come, and I would love to have all of those things and more. But that is not the point of this book. The point of this book right here, the point of this living word is to reveal the living word, Christ Jesus. So when we begin to read this inspired word and we ask God, God, would you reveal your son to me? Holy Spirit, would you reveal Christ to me through this word? Man, that is a prayer he will answer. It is. But are you seeking? Are you knocking? Are you asking? Are you? It's not going to just come. It's not going to just fall out of the sky to you. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the honor of kings to search out a matter. We are called kings and priests unto God. It's our honor to search out what he has revealed to us in his word. But if we don't search it out, it's not going to just be revealed to you because you want it to necessarily. First Peter 1, 19 and 20, but with the precious blood of Jesus. This is what we've been redeemed with, with the precious blood of Christ, not incorruptible, but not corruptible, but incorruptible, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world that was man, but was manifest in these last times for you. When was he manifest? Oh, that baby in a manger, he was manifest. Mary and Joseph carry him into the temple and people are passing by right and left, paying no attention, nothing unusual about a baby being carried into the temple. But here comes Simeon and here comes Anna. And by the Spirit of God, it was revealed to them who this child is. That now, finally, after all this time of what the prophets had declared, now... He has been made manifest to us, the salvation of Israel. This is the eternal plot of God to crucify the Lord of glory so as to create in Himself one new man, having passed over our sin because of the blood of the Lamb of God, thus making peace and joining in one all things in Christ. This is what... Ephesians declare, Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things. Where? In Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. 
That's a reality. But I don't see it, Pastor Jeff. Quit, quit looking at that and keep your eyes on Jesus. We don't yet see all things in subjection to him, but we see Jesus. You're seated in heavenly places. Well, I don't feel like I'm seated in heaven. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel like. This is what the word of God declares. How can you be seated in heavenly places? Because he has accomplished what he came to accomplish. He has received what the Father has given him. So when Jesus, before his ascension, says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. You think Jesus was just blowing smoke there? I don't think so. Do you think all authority had been given to him? It absolutely had been. Do you think at that moment his was the name above all names? Absolutely. Let's go to the book of Exodus. That was my introduction. This is the end in view. The end in view is Christ manifests. Christ, the head of his body, filling all in all. This is the end in view. All things having been put in subjection to him, Jesus. We are in him, with him, seated in him in heavenly places. All things have been placed under his feet. His feet are members of His body. All things have been placed under us if we are in Christ. But why do I still have problems in life, Pastor Jeff? That scripture doesn't mean you're not going to have problems in life. See, this is wrong theology. This is the incorrect, wrong gospel that many preach and teach today. Well, you know, if you've got enough faith, you, just, you should never be sick. You should never have lack. You should never have a bad day in your life. If you just have enough faith. You show me that in the scripture. That's not what the Scripture declares. But what the Scripture does declare, in spite of my bad day, in spite of my challenges, in spite of all of those things, guess what? I have been seated in heavenly places with Him. In spite of those things, He is my joy. In spite of those things, He is my peace. In spite of the storm, He is my peace. In spite of what's happening in my body, He is my healer. He may heal you on earth, but eventually, one way or the other, you, are, you will manifest healing. Why? Because he's paid the price. Some get healed here on earth, some don't get healed here on earth. But in Christ, we are healed. This is why I don't have a problem praying and believing for healing. It's not up to me whether someone gets healed, it's up to God. He's the healer. But I can say with assurance to that person laying in that bed and their body being ate up by cancer, I can say with 100% confidence, Christ Jesus is your healer. Because He is. He is. Well, what if they don't get healed, Pastor Jeff? Whether you see healing manifest in their physical body or not has nothing to do with the fact that Christ is their healer. See, this is, this is where we go wrong. Yeah, but the scripture says that we'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Absolutely, and we have seen it, and we know it. Who is it? It is Christ. Christ is the goodness of God. 
Christ, the goodness of God doesn't mean I'm never going to be sick. The goodness of God doesn't mean I'm never going to struggle financially. The goodness of God doesn't mean I'm always going to drive a new car. That's not the goodness of God. Is that really what we want out of life, church? I mean, there are a lot of believers, I think, who would be content to go through life just having all of those things. They'd be very content. But I'm going to tell you what. We have shortchanged ourselves. We've believed a lie. We've settled for such a shallow Christianity. We've twisted the Scriptures and made them mean something they were never meant to mean. And as a result of that, we do not experience the fullness of His joy, the fullness of His peace. Because we're looking for pie in the sky, and I'm telling you what, Jesus Christ came and died to give us a whole lot more than pie in the sky. If he gives you the power to create wealth, honey, create it and create all you can and share it. If he gives you a gift to go out and do supernatural and miraculous things, then you do it. Do it in truth, rooted and grounded in who he is. Don't let it puff you up and create some ego in you that's just waiting to fall. That's what happens to most people. Because they've misunderstood and misinterpreted the reality of, of what the gifts are and why they're given to us. They're not given to us so we can go write books and become famous people. They're, they're, they're given to us for the building up of the body. It doesn't matter whether anybody knows our name or not. The only thing that matters is does Christ know who we are? Does he know us? Does the Father know us? And the Father can only know us in one place, and that's in the Son. That's it. Whatever God decides to do with our life, that's his business. If he wants to make you a, a, an ear, a nose, a, or if he wants to make you a part of the body that's, that's never seen and that's hidden, that's his business. He's the creator. He determines our place, our purpose. He determines that. We don't determine that. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Can you be content with who he has made you to be? Can you be content to function where he's created you to function? Knowing that your place and your function is in the most important place, it's in Christ. But if I think I'm out here doing my own thing with my own gift, my own calling, trying to have my own ministry, and God's up in heaven and he's shooting his blessing down at me, making me more and more known and more and more powerful and more and more famous, then there's that theology of separation. And all we're doing is setting ourselves up for a fall. But if I come to understand the truth of what the Scripture declares, that I am just simply a member of his body, that he foreordained before the world began, before he flung one star out into outer space, he foreordained where I was going to function in his body. Can we be content with that? Say, I hate Taylor, Texas. Well, I hated Taylor, Texas for so many years. I didn't want to live here. I tried every way I could think of to escape from this place. But you know what? I don't hate it anymore. I love it. I say, you know, I'm here. I'm here because this is where God put me. And I'll be here until God says otherwise. That might be till Jesus comes or it might not. I don't know. But I'm not trying to find a way to escape any longer to find what I want, what I would like. I want to 
I want to find what God has for me. I want to be in the place God has for me. I want to be in that place. God had a plan, an eternal plan. Please don't look at your life as a series of coincidences and accidents that keep happening. And when am I going to get out of this cycle? Please don't look at life that way. I didn't say you have to like everything. I don't think Paul liked being beat, being shipwrecked, being left for dead, being naked, being hungry, being homeless. I don't think Paul liked that one bit. But he said, I've learned to be content in all things. And this is when he makes his famous statement. He says, I I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is who we are, church. This is who we are. This is important for us to understand. I'm laying the groundwork. We're going to, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at a beautiful picture God has painted for us in His Word, a picture of redemption. And we weren't the direct players in that picture, that story of redemption. We didn't make the history recorded in Exodus, but it was recorded for us. It's revealed to us. Why? Because it speaks of us. It speaks of Christ. speaks of the eternal plot, plan, purpose God had. See, I want to say that God had from the very beginning, but there was no beginning to it because it was and is eternal. See, I can say that over and over and over and over and over to you, and you won't get what I'm saying. And this is why I implore you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to begin to pray that God would reveal to you, by His Spirit, the eternal nature of what He has done, is doing, and will eternally do in Christ. It changes everything for us. It does. And there are a lot of things that need to be changed in the way we look at and think of and comprehend God and His eternal plan. So let me just give you a real quick thumbnail sketch here. Let's go to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus 1 and 2. Exodus 1 begins with the, basically talks about the 12 tribes and the the subsequent families that were born of those 12 tribes that came to Egypt. You all know the story out of Genesis of Joseph, how Joseph came to Egypt. His brothers planned to kill him, and at the last minute they said, well, we can't really kill him and have a, a clear conscience, so we'll just throw him in this well. And if he dies, fine. Oh, better yet, there's some Midianite traders. Let's just sell them into slavery and we'll tell daddy that a wild animal killed him. And they thought they were done with Joseph. So Joseph sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt. And for over 20 years, Joseph lives in Egypt thinking that he'll never see his family again. He has two children, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Ephraim was the second born. Manasseh means God has made me forget my father's house. And Ephraim means God has made me fruitful 
in the land of my affliction. And lo and behold, through divine circumstances. How about that? Just divine coincidence. Uh Uh-uh. It was the eternal plan and purpose of God that Joseph would be sold into slavery, that Pharaoh would have those dreams, that Joseph would interpret those dreams, and the very interpretation of those dreams would save a nation, not Egypt. I'm going to tell you right now, God wasn't interested in saving Egypt, but he was interested in saving his people. He was interested in saving his seed. Who is his seed? Christ is his seed. Whose seed is Christ. Why? Because God had an eternal plan that Jesus would be the Lamb of God crucified. And he was not going to let the seed that was in Judah die in a drought. No one saw that coming though. But God did. So we see in Exodus 1 and 2, this account of the children of Israel. And Moses, how Moses came to be in Pharaoh's house. Then we come to Exodus 3. And in Exodus 3, we see where God calls Moses to go and be the deliverer of the children of of Israel. In Exodus chapter 4, we see Moses arguing with God as to why he should not go. But ultimately, Moses goes to the people to the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter 5, after Moses goes to the children of Israel, in Exodus chapter 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh. And he says, hey, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. Y'all have all seen the movie, I know. Exodus 6, I want you to turn to Exodus 6, because I want to show you something here in Exodus 6. Actually, I want you to hold your place in Exodus 6 and go to Exodus 3.15. In Exodus 6, God reveals His name. He reveals His name to Moses. Now, this is significant. Genesis 3, I mean, Exodus 3.15, God says to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, "The The Lord God of your fathers... The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Exodus 6, verse 2. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, as El Shaddai is what that says there. But by my name, Lord, by my name, Yahweh, by my name, Jehovah, they have not known me. I was not known to them by that name. I was El Shaddai, I was Almighty God to them. But by my name, Lord, Yahweh, I was not known to them. And what God told Moses to do was to go to the children of Israel and to declare, not El Shaddai has sent me to you, but Yahweh, Jehovah, the self-existent, eternal one has sent me to you. It's a name that God had not revealed to Abraham, to Isaac, or to Jacob. Now, you can go to the Old Testament and you... 
you can see that Moses, you know who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So Adam didn't write Genesis 1 through, and then Joseph took over and wrote, and Abraham took over in chapter 12. No, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And you will see Moses, in writing the inspired scripture, use this, this is the name of God that Moses uses. But God says right here in his word, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, as El Shaddai, but by my name, Lord, Yahweh, I was not known to them. He says, now I will make myself known to my children. Now, remember, people, this was not written to us, but it was written for us. And God is revealing something in his word here. He is getting ready to reveal himself to his children. Now, hold your place there. Go to Acts chapter 10. I could take you to other passages, but... For the sake of time, we're going to look at Acts chapter 10 because this is a very clear declaration Peter is making. This is Peter. He's in the house of Cornelius, the Gentile, the Roman centurion, and he is getting ready to preach the eternal gospel. Why? Because God told him to. Against everything Peter knew... To be right, God sent Peter to the Gentiles, to Cornelius' house. It was against the law of Moses, against the law of the Pharisees, for Peter to even be in this house that God sent him. And here's what Peter declares in verse 36. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That word Lord there is the Greek word kurios. It is the translation from Hebrew into Greek of this word, Yahweh. So let's read it in a different way because this is exactly what Peter is declaring about Christ. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Yahweh of all. He is Yahweh above all. He is the Lord above all. He is the self-existent, eternal one, the very same one that Moses declared to the children of Israel. This is who the scripture declares Jesus to be. Why is this important for us to understand? Why are we between Exodus and Acts? Because if you don't understand the Old Testament, you won't understand the New Testament. Jesus is referred to, is known as Curios, Lord. It means that word, the eternal name of God. That's what it means. This is who Jesus is declared to be. God tells Moses, he says, Moses, go to my people and tell them, now get this, Moses, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I was their God, but they didn't know me by this name. You go and tell them, the Lord God has sent you. Jesus has come. He is the Lord God. He is Yahweh. He is the eternal self-existent one. This is why he is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. So Exodus 6, God reveals his name. Exodus 7 through 11, we have the ten plagues that, that came upon Egypt. In Exodus 12, God reveals his Passover. Who is our Passover, church? Christ is our Passover. John 1.29, John the Baptist sees Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To us, that might mean a lot of things, but to that Jewish prophet, the last of the prophets before the Messiah came, to that prophet, when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he knew exactly what he was saying and the implications of what he was saying. He says it again in verse 36. In Revelation 13, 8, he is known as the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. Christ, our Passover. God has a plan, people. God has a plan. Lest you don't think he does, I'm telling you right now, whether you believe me or not, God has a plan. That doesn't give you a license just to go flake out and do what you want. Matter of fact, it should do the exact opposite. It should make us seek his face. It should make us knock and seek and ask all the more. It should make us search for those things that God has hidden for his glory that are to be revealed. We've been given the honor to find them, to have them revealed to us. We're going to take the next four weeks and we're going to go through Exodus and we're going to look at this picture of redemption that God so vividly paints for us today. And it's going to take us right to the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm hoping by the time we get there, the day of His resurrection, the reality of His resurrection will mean more to you than it has ever meant. I pray that you will begin to see yourself in a way that you've not seen yourself before. I pray that you'll begin to get a revelation of Him and what He has done in a way that you've not gotten before that we would begin to comprehend as the people of God in truth, in reality, what Christ has done for us. Amen? Let's all stand. I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. And if you're here today, and maybe you want to know more about finding out who Jesus is as your Savior, as your Redeemer. Or maybe you're suffering in your body and you'd like prayer for healing. Or you've got something going on in your life and you need 
the believers to agree with you. I want to invite you to come. If I could have uh, uh, the elders that are here maybe just to come and Leslie, and you guys come. And if there are people and you would like prayer, I please, if you need prayer, don't rush out of here. If you need prayer, come and receive prayer. There is power in prayer. God has given us the privilege to pray for one another. He's, he's commanded us to pray for one another. Because there's power in prayer. There's power when the believers agree together. So if you need prayer, want prayer, please come and let us pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you have in your grace and in your mercy and in your sovereign will, you have revealed this word to us. You have preserved this word for us. You have, God, given us your spirit to illuminate this word for us. Lord, I pray as we are in this season, the season we call Lent, Lord, this days leading up, Lord, in which we'll celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. I pray, Father God, that you would cause us to be a people that would reflect on what you have done. That, Lord, we would not be a people that would fall into a trap of taking for granted, the things that you have accomplished for us in Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people thoughtful and reflective of what you have done in Christ. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the grace you have poured out in abundance in saving us. We thank you for the mercy you had on us, Lord, when we deserved anything but mercy. We thank you for the mercy you showed to us in Christ. And we honor you and we glorify your name, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. All God's people said, Amen.